Chapter Thirty Nine of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter Thirty Nine: The Empty Wharf. The suspected area of Limehouse was closely invested as any fortress of old when Satan Pasha once more found himself approaching that painfully familiar neighborhood. He had spoken to several pickets, and had gathered no news of interest, except that none of them had seen Chief Inspector Carey, since sometime shortly before dusk. Seaton, newly from more genial climes, shivered as he contemplated the misty rain-swept streets, deserted and but dimly lighted by an occasional lamp. The hooting of a steam siren on the river seemed to be in harmony with the prevailing gloom, and the most confirmed optimist must have suffered depression amid those surroundings. He had no definite plan of action. Every line of inquiry hitherto followed had led to nothing but disappointment. With most of the details concerning the elaborate organization of the Kazma group either gathered or in sight, the whereabouts of the surviving members remained a profound mystery. From the Chinese no information could be obtained. Distrust of the police resides deep within the Chinese heart, for the Chinaman, and not unjustly, regards the police as ever ready to accuse him, and ever unwilling to defend him, knows himself for a pariah capable of the worst crimes and who may therefore be robbed, beaten, and even murdered by his white neighbors with impunity. But when the police seek information from Chinatown, Chinatown takes its revenge and is silent. Out on the river, above and below Limehouse, patrols watched for signals from the Asiatic Quarter, and from a carefully selected spot on the Surrey side, George Martin watched also. Not even the lure of a neighboring tavern could draw him from his post. Hour after hour he waited patiently, for Sinsinwa paid fair prices, and tonight he bought neither opium nor cocaine, but liberty. Seaton Pasha, passing from point to point, and nowhere receiving news of Carrie, began to experience a certain anxiety respecting the safety of the intrepid chief inspector, his mind filled with troubled conjectures. He passed the house formerly occupied by the one-eyed Chinaman, where he found Detective Sergeant Combs on duty and very much on the alert, and followed the bank of the Thames in the direction of Limehouse Basin. The narrow, ill-lighted street was quite deserted. Bad weather and the presence of many police had driven the Asiatic inhabitants indoors. But from the river and the docks arose the incessant din of industry. Whistles shrieked, and machinery clanked, and sometimes remotely came the sound of human voices. Musing upon the sordid mystery which seems to underlie the whole of this dingy quarter, Seaton pursued his way, crossing inlets and circling around basins dimly divined turning to the right into a lane flanked by high eyeless walls, and again to the left, finally to emerge nearly opposite a dilapidated gateway, 
giving access to a small wharf all unconsciously he was traversing the same route as that recently pursued by the fugitive since in but now he paused staring at the empty wharf the annexed building a mere shell had not escaped examination by the search party and it was with no definite purpose in view that seaton pushed open the rickety gate doubtless kismet of which the arabs speak dictated that he should do so the tide was high and the water whispered ghostly under the pile-supported structure seaton experienced a new sense of chill which did not seem to be entirely physical as he stared out at the gloomy river prospect and listened to the uncanny whisperings of the tide he was about to turn back when another sound attracted his attention a dog was whimpering somewhere near him at first he was disposed to believe that the sound was due to some other cause for the deserted wharf was not a likely spot in which to find a dog but when to the faint whimpering there was added a scratching sound seaton's last doubts vanished it's a dog he said a small dog like carry he always carried an electric pocket lamp and now he directed its rays into the interior of the building a tiny spaniel whining excitedly was engaged in scratching with its paws upon the dirty floor as though determined to dig its way through as the light shone upon it the dog crouched affrightedly and glancing in seaton's direction revealed its teeth he saw that it was covered with mud from head to tail presenting a most woebegone appearance and the mystery of its presence there came home to him forcibly it was a toy spaniel of a breed very popular among ladies of fashion and to its collar was still attached a tattered and muddy fragment of ribbon the little animal crouched in a manner which unmistakably pointed to the fact that it apprehended ill-treatment but these personal fears had only a secondary place in its mind and with one eye on the intruder it continued to scratch madly at the floor seaton acted promptly he snapped off the light and replacing the lamp in his pocket stepped into the building and dropped down upon his knees beside the dog he next lay prone and having rapidly cleared a space with his sleeve of some of the dirt which coated it he applied his ear to the floor in spite of that iron control which habitually he imposed upon himself he became aware of the fact that his heart was beating rapidly he had learned at lamont street that carrie had brought mrs irvin's dog from prince's gate to aid in the search for the missing woman he did not doubt that this was the dog which snarled and scratched excitedly beside him dimly he divined something of the truth carrie had fallen into the hands of the gang but the dog evidently not without difficulty had escaped what lay below the wharf holding his breath he crouched listening but not a sound could he detect there's nothing here old chap he said to the dog 
responsive to the friendly tone the little animal began barking loudly with high staccato notes which must have been audible on the surrey shore seaton was profoundly mystified by the animal's behavior he had personally searched every foot of this particular building and was confident that it afforded no hiding place the behavior of the dog however was susceptible of only one explanation and seaton recognizing that the clue to the mystery lay somewhere within this ramshackle building became seized with a conviction that he was being watched standing upright he paused for a moment irresolute thinking that he had detected a muffled shriek but the riverside noises were misleading and his imagination was on fire that almost superstitious respect for the powers of sinsinois which had led chief inspector carey to look upon the chinaman as being more than humanly endowed began to take possession of seton pasha he regretted having entered the place so overtly he regretted having shown a light keen eyes vigilant regarded him it was perhaps a delusion bred of the mournful night sounds the gloom and the uncanny resourcefulness already proven of the Kazma group but it operated powerfully theories wild improbable flocked to his mind the great dope cache lay beneath his feet and there must be some hidden entrance to it which had escaped the attention of the search party this in itself was not improbable since they had devoted no more time to this building than to any other in the vicinity that wild cry in the night which had struck so mournful a chill to the hearts of the watchers on the river had seemed to come out of the void of the blackness had given but slight clue to the location of the place of captivity indeed they could only surmise that it had been uttered by the missing woman yet in their hearts neither had doubted it he determined to cause the place to be searched again as secretly as possible he determined to set so close a guard over it and over its approaches that none could enter or leave unobserved yet kismet in whose omnipotence he more than half believed had ordained otherwise for man is merely an instrument in the hand of fate End of chapter 39 Recording by John Brandon